if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed. Good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. We're underway at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Tuesday morning. It's the 21st morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Just nine more days of shame uh, await. Uh, that, of course, is grooming month. That, of course, is recruitment month. Some people like to call it Pride Month. It is no longer about pride. That would be just fine. It is not about pride, about being gay. It is about recruiting young people into the legions of those in a lifestyle that is going to be, well, questionable at best, destructive at worst. And I have a ton of information for you on that subject in hour number two. We are going to be talking about Pride Month We're going to be talking about the encouraging of physical destruction and emotional destruction of young people's bodies, all based on lies. I have a ton of information. Hour number two is going to be filled with that. Oh, by the way, you may have recognized, since I said hour number two is going to be filled with that, that we do not not have Peter Kirsten out today. That is true. He is out of state and thus unavailable. Uh, it's the only reason he won't be at our party tonight for the 100th anniversary uh, celebration. He is out of state on business with the Civil Rights Commission. So no cursing out today. So hour two, we are going to talk about Pride Month, Recruitment Month, Grooming Month. Uh, it is a very, very dangerous thing that is being done to the young people in our country right now. And we're going to talk about it. We're going to do so unapologetically. 
uh, just as they're unapologetic about taking children to drag shows, taking children to pride parades where people or who are dressed in ungodly costumes are are half naked, if not fully naked, or parts of their body are fully unclothed that should be covered, and they expect children to clap and cheer for that and say, yay, I support that. It's extraordinarily dangerous, and I'm not going to pull any punches. I'm going to tell you the truth, and this is coming up in hour number two. Uh, in hour number one, which we were going to start here in just a moment or two, We're going to talk about something else I'm unapologetic for. I'm white. I'm white. And I should not be ashamed of that. If you are white, nor should you. Any more than somebody who is black should be ashamed of being black. Of course they should not. Anybody who is brown, and I don't know why we use colors to describe ethnicity and race, but it is what it is. But if you are described as being brown in the black or brown continuum or whatever, you should absolutely have no shame in that. You can be perfectly proud of who you are. And I use the word pride cautiously because, first of all, of Pride Month, second of all, because of my conversations with Dr. Everett Piper about the sin of pridefulness. But aside from that fact, we are being taught throughout our country, throughout our culture, throughout our schools, and yes, in our businesses, corporations, jobs, and military, that whiteness is something that needs to be removed. You have to be ashamed of your whiteness, and you have to do everything you can to counteract the fact that you are white. I'm done with that. I have no reason to feel shame for the tone of my skin any more than anybody else does and it's time that we confront this and i've got a ton of information for you now our number one so our number one we're going to talk about race we're going to talk about whiteness we're going to talk about those who are trying to dismantle whiteness and we're going to talk about those who are trying to essentially destroy our military and i mean that very seriously destroy our military with division where unity once was prized above all else uh, so that'll be in hour number one. Hour number two, we're going to focus exclusively on the pride issue and the allowing of young children to make drastic, life-altering decisions that will, well, just as the word suggests, alter their lives. And in far, far, far too many cases with devastating consequences. Hour number three will be spent on energy. The gas prices, the issue is not going away. It is only getting worse. The only thing that is changing is the finger of blame to whom or at whom rather it is pointed and that finger has been pointed by the Biden administration at Putin more recently at gas uh, excuse me oil companies refineries and now we're going to point it where it belongs right back at the man if he was standing in a mirror uh, who is really responsible the guy who doesn't know how to pedal a bike or stand uh, and oftentimes speak. And I'm going to give you a lot of information about that in hour number three. So hour one on CRT and whiteness, hour two on pride, hour three on energy, and I expect you to be a big part of it at 216-901-0945, As always, we begin our conversation by paying homage and respect to our flag and our Pledge of Allegiance. Please go ahead and stand. Face your flag if you have one. Put your hand over your heart and join us. If you are a believer that people should be ashamed, including children, of who they are because of the color of their skin, no matter what that color may be, well, then you don't understand liberty anyway. You don't understand that flag. You don't understand what it represents. So you are exempted from pledging your allegiance to it. Go ahead and take a knee instead where you're more comfortable. 
next to your favorite ex-quarterback. United States of America, and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, let's... um, Let's dive into this. There was a piece written for Fox News by Ian Pryor over the weekend that I was going to get into yesterday, but we had a lot of other topics to do, and today I'm dedicating this first hour to this issue. The war against parental rights is happening at school districts in every corner of America. Equity consultants are making millions teaching teachers how to view everything through the lens of critical race theory and then transform education by applying those lessons teaching the children that America's institutions, monuments, traditions, holidays, language, and foundational principles are uh, systemically and irredeemably racist. America, as we know, it must be disrupted and dismantled to be a more just society, they say. Now, the left will tell you that, oh, this is a lie. Critical race theory is not being taught in our schools. That is an upper, higher-level education issue, usually taught at the master's level, the graduate level, not at the school level. We have evidence now. We have proof that this is, and we've already had proof because we've had parents who have gotten an opportunity to kind of pull the curtain back. By way of what? By way of COVID. Remember when COVID confined every student in America virtually to their uh, kitchen tables or to the dining room table or the couch or whatever, and they were doing education by Zoom? Parents finally got to listen in. That's how so much of this was uncovered. So throughout this debate, we've heard critical race theory is simply a way to learn about the past, that critical race theory is not taught in elementary schools or high schools. It's merely teaching accurate history, and it's only taught in, like I said, graduate-level schools and above. Well, America First Legal is an organization that acquired narrative-shattering documents as part of its litigation against the uh, Tredefrin, if I'm saying that correctly, and I may not be, Easttown Area School District in Pennsylvania, TESD for short, and I'll do that way. These documents prove that the left's dishonest gaslighting about uh, critical race theory Uh, is exactly that. Critical race theory is being taught in schools, and it is being taught to the detriment of anybody with light-colored skin. They are being humiliated. They are being attacked. They are being shamed for something that is beyond their control. And it is something that if it is happening there, it is happening, and you know it is happening, everywhere. Because left, left-leaning left politicians have stated this much. They have said, this is what we are doing, and this is what we intend to do. Sometimes they try to hide it a little bit better than they did here. When you get whistleblowers who are able to get their hands on these documents, though, they cannot hide any longer. This past winter, TESD parent Ben Oslinder exercised his legal right to inspect documents from teacher trainings that were being used by TESD. The teacher trainings were developed by the Pacific Educational Group, an organization that relies on its framework for systemic racial equity transformation to contract with school districts and corporations that want to be more woke. While inspecting the documents, Mr. Oslander began making voice notes that he was reading of what he was reading. And when the administrator for TESD saw this, he told Oslander that this was a copyright violation and ended the inspection. But on Oslander's behalf, then America First Legal stepped in, filed a lawsuit against the district 
for violating his First Amendment rights. Through that litigation, America First Legal was was able to acquire the treasure trove of teacher training materials that TESD and PEG had tried so hard to hide. The documents show critical race theory absolutely being implemented without question, no longer just a suspicion, but proof to transform public schools. And again, to the detriment of light-colored students. Skin-colored, of course. The slides demonstrate that the application of critical race theory by teachers is crucial to, quote, school transformation action plans. And that the intersection of critical race theory with schooling is the key to systemic change. Part of the Pacific Educational Group presentation... um, Indicated or excuse me, included a slide showing a school transformation action plan, which included critical race theory. Again, this is not conjecture. There are pictures of the slides, and I have this story linked right now to AlwaysRight.us in the top stories section. You can read it and look at the slides for yourself. But they start with school improvement plan, moving to equity and anti-racism, moving racism, moving to courageous conversation, examining presence and role whiteness there it is then critical race theory then school uh transformation action plan this is all part of that specifically in the critique of liberalism teachers were encouraged to deconstruct and challenge colorblindness remember colorblindness was once what we were told is going to bring this country together Martin Luther King, we have him in the open, at the top of the hour open. You just heard some of the Dr. King's uh, speech, in which he, of course, calls for a colorblind society, where we judge people based on who they are, not what they look like. That is being completely abandoned. They are spitting on the grave of Dr. Martin Luther King and civil rights pioneers all across this country who gave their lives or sacrificed so much of their lives in service to the idea that we are all alike that we should all be judged by who we are, not what we look like. But that's not what they're doing, though. Specifically, they challenge colorblindness, race neutrality, incremental change, equality versus equity, and myth the myth. They call it the myth of meritocracy. You know, actually achieving and doing well and studying and working hard. Notably, nowhere in the presentation was there any discussion of true history. Rather, it's all theory history, and bankrupt race-based Marxist teachings that your teachers are being trained with right now. Understand that. But the training goes even further when it asks teachers. And this is where I really want to focus this on this hour. What does it mean to be white? What is whiteness, the teachers are asked, and they are bombarded via slideshow presentations, What is whiteness? The virtual invisibility that whiteness affords those of us who have it is like psychological money in the bank, That the proceeds of which we cash in every day while others are in a state of perpetual overdraft. Membership has its privileges. This is one of the slides, one of the pieces of curricula, training materials, whatever you want to call it, that these teachers are using. You have to accept that you are privileged and you are by association, should feel guilty for having it because other people don't. Feel guilt for being the race you are. Only one race must feel this guilt. If your skin is lighter, feel the guilt. 
accept the guilt, accept the shame that goes with it. You don't deserve this. It goes on to three C's, color, culture, and consciousness. Again, in the extraordinary effort to try to end whiteness or to try to shame whiteness. Color, primary presence positioning, white privileges, the stages of avoidance, ignoring to competing, uh, ignorance rather, to competing victimization. Culture, being, feeling, and acting white, white racial bonding, avoidance, individualism, universality, decontextualization. Consciousness, thinking and reasoning white, white racial identity development, colorblindness, guilt, shame, anger. White, te- or excuse me, teachers are being taught to teach their white children to be ashamed of who and what they are. And they owe something to others who are not as light-colored as they are. And they need, most importantly, they need to apologize to those who are not as light as they are for the oppression that those people have suffered, even though they themselves have not done the oppressing. This, these documents are damning. And this just proves what we have been talking about for a very, very long time. And I, for one, am tired of having to talk about it in hushed whispers. It is okay to be white. You are not evil because you are white. You are not to be ashamed because you, of you, because you are white. Just as I would say every single one of those things to every person who is black or brown or of any ethnicity around the world. But only one ethnicity, only one race is under full-on attack in American schools. And we need to know about it. It's 924, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Again, this story and all of the others I'm about to cover in this hour are available right now online at alwaysright.us. Nine twenty-seven, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Do not forget, it's party time. It's our birthday. Happy birthday to us. Can I think that's... That's okay. Kind of a milestone moment when you turn 100. WHK Radio is 100 years old, and we're celebrating that birthday today. They flipped the switch on in 1922. Here we are a century later, still going strong. Party with us at Harry Buffalo today. Uh, 4.30 p.m. VIP ticket holders can access Harry Buffalo for a tremendous buffet, drink specials, all kinds of great things. 6 p.m. for general uh, general uh, admission attendees. If you got your tickets online at whkradio.com, you're good to go. We will see you there. If you did not get your tickets online yet, I just found out we will have some availability at the door. B- VIP, get there at 4.30, get your tickets, $80 for the entire, and that includes the uh, musical performances and more, along with all the food, drinks, cigars, and other specials. General admission, $38. That begins at 6 o'clock. Can't pay with cash, though. Bring your checkbook or credit card. Uh, make it out to Salem Media. Door sales end at 7 p.m. So if you are already in possession of your tickets, we'll see you there. If not, you can still get there uh, if you show up uh, at the door at Harry Buffalo later today. So back to the issue here, what does it mean to be white? 
The six conditions, courageous conversations, presentation, explaining what it means to be white. The six conditions that your teachers of your children are learning right now. One, focus on personal, local, and immediate. Two, isolate race. Three, normalize social construction and multiple perspectives. Four, monitor agreements, conditions, and establish parameters. Five, use a working definition for race. And six, examine the presence and the role of whiteness. This takes dozens of traits in this section. Uh, such as the following that I'll share with you and assigns them to whiteness. These things are all having to do with whiteness. For example, whites are taught to see themselves as individuals rather than part of a racial group. Now, I'm going to point something out here that should be very obvious to everybody and anybody who's paying attention here. Whites and people who are promoting Dr. Martin Luther King's dream of being a colorblind society are not the ones who decided that black had to be capitalized according to new AP-style guidelines. They decided to capitalize black so as to personally and separately and individually identify African Americans as being unique and special, capitalizing black but not white. But yet whites are taught to see themselves as individuals rather than part of a racial group. We are the ones who are trying to say we are all Americans, not black or white Americans. It is those trying to perpetuate racial divides, including the teachers, including schools and CRT proponents, that are trying to do exactly the opposite of that. They're the ones who want to see people by their color rather than by their individual characters. That's the, the reality here is seeing people as individuals is exactly what the goal should be, not as part of a racial group. Yet it's the left that says, let's create the racial groups and let's specialize them with capital letters and more. Independence and autonomy are highly valued and rewarded. What, that's not something that black people aspire to? To be independent? To be autonomous? That that should be valued and rewarded? No, of course it is. Be polite. That's a, that's a character trait of whiteness, according to what they're teaching these kids and these teachers. Being polite is a white thing to do. Being polite is not a black thing to do. Have you ever heard anything so insulting to black people? I've got more here, but we're coming up on our, in fact, we're at our news break. So we'll take our time out here, but I'm going to spend the hour on this issue, and I want to hear from you as well. Next hour is going to be a pride hour, but not the kind you think. Right here on Always Right Radio AM 1420, The Answer. Delivering you from the depravity of the radical left. Always Right Radio with Bob Fratz on The Answer. So we're continuing now at 939 with this very, very damning list of documents that have been obtained in a Pennsylvania lawsuit um, against Pennsylvania schools and their intentional teaching of critical race theory to their teachers to be passed on, of course, to their students. The attempt, of course, is to completely and utterly shame white students and white people for being such. Make them apologize and change their living habits and their, and the, the things that they do in their families so that they look and appear less white because being white is insensitive to those who are not white and don't have the advantages and the privileges of being white. So you are to be, you are to be found guilty. You are to be ashamed. You are to be harmed, uh, by, uh, by your skin color according to what CRT is teaching in our schools. 
Now, I was sharing with you six conditions of courageous uh, conversations from the uh, Pacific Educational Group, part of the curricula they're using to teach the teachers. And in this section, dozens of traits, such as the following, are assigned to whiteness. All right, I'll run through these again, and I'll give you the new ones. Um, Independence and autonomy are highly valued and rewarded for whites. Whites are taught to see themselves as individuals rather than part of a racial group. Being polite, a trait that is attributed to whiteness, must always do something about a situation, a trait attributed to whiteness. Hard work is the key to success, and work before play is a trait attributed to whiteness, according to these, uh, um, this curricula for teachers to learn and share with their students. Emphasis on the scientific method. That is an attribute of whiteness. Adherence to rigid time schedules and planning for the future. That is attributed to whiteness. And the nuclear family, which is a father, a mother, and 2.3 children, is the ideal social unit. All traits attributed to whiteness. You know what I just read for you? I just read you a list of definitions of racism. That's racism defined. It assigns these specific positive traits to people of one particular skin color, whites, but even worse, it assumes that non-whites don't have those traits. Non-whites don't value and exhibit those things because of the tone of their skin. That non-whites can't be polite. Non-whites don't try to do things about situations. Non-whites don't value hard work uh, over play. Non-whites don't adhere to rigid time schedule. They're teaching little, darker, skin-colored kids that they are less than and teaching lighter, skin-colored kids that they are should be ashamed of being better, of doing these things that they attribute to them. It's, it's racist, and, and it's insulting to all races. But, of course, the only one that is targeted in this is the white race, which is why I started the, the, the entire hour by saying it is okay to be white. It is okay to be white. You don't need to be ashamed of being white. You don't need to be apologetic for being white. And you are not an oppressor because you were born white. But unfortunately, these trainings are not limited to one school district or one school. These trainings are being taught all over to educators in the NEA, the National Educators Association, all over the country. What we are witnessing is the the taxpayer-funded consultants and woke school systems using terms like equity and culturally responsive teachings to hide from parents the dangerous philosophy that they are actually teaching that it's not and it's not only anti-american but they seek to undo the age of enlightenment concepts like free will individual liberty constitutional jurisprudence and the scientific method america has to fight back now that's the school part now let me take you into our military, and God, I beg of you, Lord in heaven, please do not let Joe Brandon take us into a war. Because we, if we have to go into a war with our military, as divided and distracted as they are by things like whiteness, we will be wiped out. And I, next hour I will have a different story about a different branch. This is West Point. This is the Army. Next hour, when we talk about the grooming month, that is Pride Month, we will talk about the Navy. It will blow your mind, what they're putting our, our, our sailors through. But in this case, now let's talk about West Point cadets taught critical race theory, including how to address the terrible scourge of whiteness. 
Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton said in a press release, Our military is under attack. These documents show racist, anti-American CRT propaganda being used to try to radicalize our rising generation of Army leadership at West Point. Fitton said the material was obtained as part of a request for documents related to the instruction of cadets. Judicial Watch received over 600 pages of documents from the two lawsuits that were levied after the DOD did not comply with the legally binding request for documents. The, here's the, there's a pretty good reason why they didn't want to turn them over. Because the documents reveal that Army officers in training are receiving lessons on CRT, including lessons on addressing whiteness of officer candidates, as well as the application of CRT when answering questions. In order to understand racial inequality and slavery, it's first necessary to address whiteness, one slide reads. It goes on to claim that whiteness is a location of structural advantage, of race privilege. It's a, quote, standpoint or place from which white people look at themselves and the rest of society. And, quote, to a set of cultural practices that are usually unmarked and unnamed. Do you think affirmative action creates an environment for reverse discrimination? One question reads, use CRT to support your answer. So if you say what I think many people think, myself included, that affirmative action absolutely creates an environment for, I won't call it reverse discrimination, just discrimination. If I don't get the same consideration for a job, a promotion, admission to a class, etc., because I'm white, I have been discriminated against, and the affirmative action intended to put more people who are not white in these roles and in these positions has indeed violated the law, the Civil Rights Act. That's racial discrimination. But I can't answer it unless I, according to the the training of these officers, use CRT to support my answer, in which case the answer would probably go something like, and I'm riffing here, would go something like, of course it's not reverse discrimination. I don't deserve that spot. I was born with lighter colored skin and have enough opportunities given to me. So what I want to do here is irrelevant. Somebody else who hasn't had the same opportunities as me deserves that spot. That's not discrimination. That's equity. I just made that up on the spot because that's what they're looking for in our military now. What is the difference between desegregation versus integration? Another question asks... How would you apply a tenet of CRT to this idea? Desegregation versus integration? They're synonymous. They bring races together rather than separating them. But that's not what they want. They want division. It's why they're holding separate um, uh, commencement exercises for graduating classes at woke left-wing schools now. High schools and colleges, by the way, Separate, separate, separate dorms, separate facilities. I mean, it literally is going back to pre-civil rights, where separate uh, restrooms, separate lunch counters, separate uh, drinking fountains, and everything else. We were told separate but equal is completely uh, unconstitutional, and we were right. They were right. That was right. And those who worked so hard to end that, saying we're all the same, we all should have the same access, the same opportunities, now are going back in time. They literally are reversing the course of progress. They call themselves progressives, but they are literally practicing regression. Slides from an Army memo claim that white Americans, quote, have primarily benefited from civil rights legislation, that racism is ordinary, that race is socially constructed, as well as uh, address queer theory and policy in another slide. 
Another slide in the by the numbers category includes a graphic titled Modern Day Slavery in the USA, juxtaposed with claims that black Americans are less likely than whites to receive recommended medical screening tests or receive job promotions, while being more likely than white Americans to be murdered, incarcerated, or to live below the poverty line. Again, white people feel that shame. Feel the shame that comes with not being 13% of the population, but committing over 50% of the murders. Feel the shame that comes with not committing an extraordinarily disproportionate amount of the violent crime, thus leading to incarceration, murders, and more. Feel the shame, white people, for not raising your kids in single-parent households to the tune of 70 to 75% of the time and then wondering why they're living below the poverty line. Feel the shame of being white. This is what literally our, our, our soldiers are being taught. Let me advance this now. Let's go to the collegiate ranks. Let's go to the University of Cincinnati. Right here in the good old Buckeye State. University of Cincinnati. This story literally broke yesterday. Cincinnati is now barring white and Asian students from STEM programs. Wait a minute. Isn't that a violation of the Civil Rights Act? You're doggone right it is. But apparently it's okay if the targets are white and now, in this case, Asians. They use Asians for whatever they have to to advance their political and social agendas. And in this case, Asians are considered to be like whites. See, when Asians are being attacked or assaulted and the rise in anti-Asian crimes are out there, it's they're, they're minorities. And clearly, white people are victimizing these minorities, Asians. Asians are just like blacks and browns and, and whatever other uh, ethnic colors you want to apply to people. That's how it is. But when the Asians are doing highly successful things and they don't want so many of them to be successful because it makes other minority groups look bad, then they get lumped in with the whites. Yeah, you Asian privileged people, just like you white privileged people, don't deserve these opportunities. The underserved and marginalized groups deserve these opportunities. A new complaint of discrimination was filed against the University of Cincinnati STEM program to the Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights by Professor Emeritus of Economics, uh, Mark Perry. The new filing comes after OCR, the Office of Civil Rights, closed the original investigation into Perry's sex-based discrimination complaint against the university in 2020, saying the program was no longer gender-specific. Uprise is the university's STEM program. It's meant to provide research opportunities to, quote, talented UC undergrads from underrepresented groups, end quote. The program was originally titled Research Experience for Women Undergraduates. So this professor said that's not fair to men and filed a lawsuit. So that came, uh, or excuse me, that led to them ending the gender-specific nature of this. However, it didn't end there. Now they went from just discriminating against men to discriminating against people based on their race. Quote, it's a well-known and accepted statistical fact that the two main groups who do not qualify as being underrepresented in STEM fields are white males and Asian males, Perry said. Instead of equitably opening the program to all students, including male students, they renamed and repackaged the summer research program. He's taken action against the university before, filing a Title VI complaint against the University of South Carolina in May, the school had planned to limit its program applicants by race, 
according to Perry, but then changed its application page in the wake of the complaint. They are so corrupt, they are so unprincipled, they do this all the time, Perry said. They might not even realize they're violating federal civil rights laws, or they know that it's illegal, but they do it anyway because they've done it in the past and they've always gotten away with it because no one has ever challenged them. The University of Cincinnati would not comment. But So if you're white, you're a target. You should be ashamed. You should be afraid. If you are darker of skin color, you are a victim, and you are underrepresented, and you are marginalized, and you should be celebrated and advanced, whether or not meritocracy, which is a myth, warrants that or not. This is the division that is being created by the American left with intent. It's in our military, it's in our colleges, it's in our high schools, it's in our middle schools, it's in our primary schools. And it's not in question any longer. The curtain has been pulled back. The question is, is what are we as colorblind Americans who don't care if a little kid is black or white or brown or any other ethnicity? We just want kids to be treated the same. Equal opportunities. Which is exactly what this country provides. Rather than shaming people for the color of their skin and claiming victimization of others for the color of their skin. 216-901-0945. It's always right. Radio on AM 1420. The answer right back. If I say the word Waukesha to you, would you know what it meant? If I said to you Waukesha is a city... Would you know where it was? Probably not. And the reason why is no one wants to talk about Waukesha. There was an update in the case against Daryl Brooks today. Daryl Brooks, you ask? Who the heck is that? And what is this Waukesha of which you speak? You have no idea. It's been completely covered up and forgotten since Christmas when Daryl Brooks drove a vehicle through a Christmas parade of almost exclusively white people in Waukesha, Wisconsin. The update today is the judge has dismissed uh, the request for a change of venue. The trial will will go on in Waukesha County. But you haven't heard about this at all. And there's a reason why. And you know what that reason is. Daryl Brooks hated white people. Daryl Brooks is a black male who had written on social media numerous times of his disgust for white people. He intentionally drove his vehicle into a crowded Christmas parade of almost exclusively white people in the same way that the scumbag in Buffalo, which you hear a lot about, drove two hours to Buffalo to an almost exclusively black uh, grocery store. Killed 10 black people, two white people. You never hear anything about the two white victims because this was a hate crime. It was a hate crime in which a white uh, uh, punk killed 10 black people. The two white people are almost not victims in the case. Well, in Waukesha, you don't hear about it at all because all of the victims were white. Six killed, over 60 seriously injured when he rammed his vehicle into that parade, swerving as he went to try to get as many people as he could. Of course, if you go straight ahead, you know, and people see it coming, they can step to the side. Well, he was going to make sure if you step to the side, he still got you. 
This was a hate crime of a black male against a over over uh, sixty, close to seventy. No, he faced seventy-seven charges. Here it is. He pleaded guilty in February to seventy-seven charges against white victims. Six counts of first-degree intentional homicide, 61 counts of first-degree recklessly endangering safety, six counts of hit-and-run resulting in death, two counts of felony bail jumping, and two counts of misdemeanor battery. You know what is, does not appear anywhere in all of these stories? Because, first of all, there aren't many stories. But what does not appear are the words hate crime. That's just reality of it. Black man hated white people, attacked and killed a whole bunch of white people in a mass killing. It wasn't done with an AR-15. It was done with a vehicle. Do they blame the AR-15 or do they blame the vehicle? No. But in this case, they don't even blame the driver. Because you're not allowed to know about this. It took the Washington Examiner to give me this story. Nobody's talking about this. Tell me how the NBC Nightly News, CNN, MSNBC would be covering this. If a white man named Daryl Brooks drove into an African-American populated neighborhood, neighborhood and drove through a Juneteenth parade mowing down 70 people, mowing down 70 black people, how is that coverage different? You tell me. But I think we know the answer. We'll get to our newscast now. We'll come back. I do have time for calls. We're going to, in the next hour, we're going to move on from the uh, extreme racial division being fomented by the progressive left in this country to Pride Month, which is nothing to be proud of. Nothing to be proud of. It's recruitment month. It's grooming month. It's indoctrination month. And I've got stories that you're going to want to hear next on Always Right Radio AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three, or number two, rather, underway now, nine minutes past 10 o'clock. And what are we talking about today? I think largely with the focus on divisive race theory in the first hour, divisive gender slash sexuality theory that we are going to discuss in hour number two. We're talking about wokeness. Can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't. You can't? Mm, not in okay. this context. So I'm not a biologist. The meaning of the word woman is so unclear and controversial that you can't give me a definition. My gender changes depending on the day or week or even depending on the hour. If you got three months in Facebook jail, who you gonna call? If your five-year-old girl identifies as male who you gonna call when you post pictures of your beautiful vacation or your healthy children or your lovely home and you write hashtag blessed i ain't trying to be woke you are offensive because you were not chosen as one of god's favorites you were given opportunities that other people were not i ain't trying to be woke if the liberal mob tries to shut you down who can you call 
Cause you forgot to use their preferred pronouns. Oh, who you gonna call? Whoa, Busters! What are your preferred pronouns? Uh, Zayzam. These are my pronouns. Mappa, Nini, Nopa, Nori. I ain't trying to be woke. Opa, Pere, Pong Pong, Zaza, Zizi, Trixic, Twerk, From an Amork, Vera Mork, Allosexual. I ain't trying to be woke. If you've had enough of this freaky stuff, baby, you better call. Whoa, Busters! If your American dream is too extreme, then call. Whoa, Busters! Our genitals actually don't determine our gender. I ain't trying to be woke. Do you believe then that men can become pregnant? Yes. I ain't trying to be woke. Trans women are not a threat to women's sports. I ain't trying to be woke. Any male who claims not to be a misogynist is a misogynist. When a traffic statue replaces Chief Wahoo, you really need to call. Whoa, Busters! When NBC sounds like the KGB, baby, think you better call. Whoa, Busters! Ow, who you gonna call? Whoa, Busters! The latest. Who you gonna call? Gem. Whoa, hear you. Who you gonna call? Our production wizard, creative services director, Dale Officer, with some incredible vocals from Johnny Hiles, bringing you Wokebusters. That is available right now. You can grab it and share it. It's on my webpage at alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us. Out freaking standing. I love the talent. Uh, that I am surrounded with here each and every day. Thank you to Dale and thank you to Johnny. By the way, Johnny, uh, who did the singing there, is uh, going to be the opening act tonight at about 7 o'clock when the music portion of our 100th birthday slash anniversary celebration gets underway uh, at Harry Buffalo in North Olmsted. Uh, it's outstanding. It is so very uh, uh, impressive, uh, the array of talents that this young man has. And he's going to sing. He's going to perform a very a variety of tunes. Johnny, what did you say? Mostly 90s, 80s, and 70s covers, right? Uh, is, is oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, you, we were goofing around a few days ago. We never did come, f- come up with a name for your group because it's you and a bunch of other band members from different bands. It's not like your band. You guys are going to all kind of collab on this. Uh, and I came up with one that I wondered how this would go over. Um, we all know about the B-52s, right? Yes. I'm not a fan, by the way, but I do like the name, the B-52s, and I was thinking maybe you guys could be the AR-15s. What do you think? That's pretty good. I think that could work, the ar 15 <laughs> AR doesn't mean assault rifle. It doesn't when you're talking about guns either. It means armalite. Uh, but AR in our context could be always right. The always there right 15s. What do you think? I like that. Great. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to have to come up with a name. I don't know. We're going to have to. I don't know how we're going to do it. I thought uh, Cancel Club was pretty good. Cancel Club is pretty good. If you're willing to dress like Boy George, uh, then. <laughs> If people know who Culture Club is, you know that Johnny does not want to dress like Boy George, but Cancel Club as opposed to Culture Club would could be pretty good as well. If you've got suggestions, we'd love to hear them. Seriously, it's going to be a great time. By the way, don't forget, if you did not get your tickets for today's event, 
uh, our celebration at Harry Buffalo in North Olmstead. 4.30 for VIP ticket holders, 6 o'clock for general admission ticket holders. We are going to make some available at the door. So if you get there beginning at 4.30, you can buy a VIP pass. If you get there starting at 6, you can buy a general admission pass. You're going to get tremendous food, buffet, dinner, uh, two dr- for general admission, two drink tickets, much more uh, opportunity for VIP ticket holders, whiskey tasting, uh, cigars, uh, access to the outside patio. It's going to be phenomenal. But if you want to get your tickets at the door, make sure you show up with a credit card or a check. No cash accepted. Only credit cards and checks. Harry Buffalo, as we celebrate 100 years of outstanding awesomeness on WHK Radio. All right, I've got a lot of information to get to in this hour, too, but I see a ton of people on hold, so I know you want to talk. Let's get a few phone calls in here before I get you into Pride Month, which is, of course, Indoctrination Month, Grooming Month, and thankfully soon to be over in nine days month because it's not good for the American culture. Uh, Sally in Berea is up. Hi, Sally. You're on the air. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. Um, I want to warn uh, about a federal bill that's proposed supposedly bipartisan, I don't know how Republicans could vote for it, is called the Civic Secures Democracy Act. And it's uh, proposing a national curriculum on action civics. And it has federal funds tied to it as a bribe to the schools. And it's very dangerous because the feds have no business determining our curriculums. So it's got to be blocked. Well, I completely concur, Sally, uh, and thank you for the call and for making me aware. Um, there are so many different elements from the federal level to the state level to the special interest level, all trying to uh, force this type of curricula into the schools by way of the teachers' unions. And the teachers' unions, of course, are far, far left-wing progressives, and they're more than willing to try to do this. They believe in this divisiveness. They believe in trying to uh, bring equity. You know, they, they, they live by the DIE, diversity, inclusion, and equity. A lot of people call it DEI, but I say DIE because it spells die, and that's what they're doing is killing education and killing kids' opportunities. Uh, but yes, uh, it is. I agree that bill would have to be would ha- should be killed. Anything that can hold states and state educational systems and schools for ransom, saying you won't get any federal funding if you don't impose this curriculum, should absolutely be stopped. You're 100 percent right. Thank you, Sally. Tom and Medina's next. Hi, Tom. Go ahead, sir. Hello, uh, Tom. Yo, there you are. Go ahead, Tom. Okay. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, now I got you. Go ahead. Okay. Um, well, to add on to what uh, the lady just said, mm-hmm. I heard Stanley Kurtz, a senior fellow at Ethics and Policy Public Policy Center. Right. You ever hear of that? I have. Okay, well, he was, okay well, he says that, that that bill should be called uh, Critical Race Theory Destroys Democracy Act, because that's what it, it's going to do. And he's, and I I don't know where I heard it, but a bunch of a bunch of Republicans are going in on it too. It's like what's going on in the government, Bob? Well, you know, Republic- first of all, first of all, that's a good name. Uh, it's accurate, but they wouldn't bring accuracy to bills like this. Uh, but it absolutely does. Uh, and uh, and as far as Republicans, you know as well as I do, there are more Rhino establishment Republicans in federal government, particularly in the halls of Congress, than there are conservatives. That's why there's only 35 or 38 members of the Freedom Caucus, founded by Mark Meadows and Jim Jordan, uh, and there are a ton of supporters of people like uh, Kevin McCarthy instead. So there are more Rhino Republicans. 
Republicans who will go along with this kind of thing uh, than there are conservatives who will stand up for, you know, constitutionality, uh, the Civil Rights Act, not uh, judging people by skin color, not discriminating against people based on their uh, characteristics that they cannot, uh, you know, they have no control over. So you know why. Uh, there are too many Republicans who, work, who govern like Democrats. That's why. Can I, can I say something about what I just heard on your news about Brad Rath? Rathenberger from Arizona. It was well, on your I want to see it. No, no, not not okay. not right now, Tom, because I want to stay on topic, and I've got a few other people. All Thanks right. for the call, so I can get to the uh, uh, the uh, Pride Month, the shame that is Pride Month, because it's not about being proud of being gay. It is about recruiting and grooming children into a very radical lifestyle. I want to get into that. So uh, let me stay on topic here with a couple more calls. Tanya in Akron. Hi, Tanya. Go ahead. Hi, Bob. I know the definition of a woman, a female race, grown, that goes to be an adult. And, and, and you uh, could do that You could do that without having a biology degree and working as a biologist? Yes. Wow. I'm impressed. That. I'm impressed, you know, because okay. we, have a, we have a future Supreme Court justice who couldn't do that without being a biologist, she said. Hey, I do not use new dictionaries. I use the 19, 1828 Webster dictionary when i want to know the real definition of words okay that's, that's how it ought to be first that's how it ought to be our constitution was only made for moral and religious people we're not moral anymore we're not religious anymore and it's wholly inadequate to govern any other way okay john adams this is grooming month and i've been counting down and i'm so dag- daggum glad i'm down to single digits this grooming month for 2020 only has nine more days. But what I wanted to say is that get off your butt. Make sure, first of all, I think it's August 2nd, because I don't know if you put it up on your website, that we clean out the, our Ohio Republican Committee. Because until we get rid of that, we can't do anything in Ohio. we got to get rid of them. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Tanya, you're a thousand percent right. Uh, I've had some people on about it, and thank you for the phone call. I'll continue to have people on about that, about uh, voting for new state central committee members in the Republican Party and the ORP to remove the current leadership that is corrupt uh, and is uh, absolutely uh, not acting in the best interest of uh, of the voters, of Republican voters, uh, Bob Paduchik uh, in particular as the chair. So we will talk more about that. But again, staying on topic here, uh, I appreciate it. Let's go to Cleveland next. Mike, you're on the Air Mike, go ahead. Son attended private university. Son attended private high school. Son, National Honor Society. Played several varsity sports. High GPA. When it came to scholarships, he did not get the scholarship based upon the color of his skin. He didn't get scholarship because we are not first generational college educated people. Right. We're not broke. So that your theory about, you know, being black, it's just blown out of the water, okay? We did not have the criteria to meet the scholarship. It's not based upon his merit, okay? So you attend... Well, well hold, on, hold on, hold on, a second, hold on a second, hold on a second, hold on, hold on a second. Let me, let, let so me try to process some. Well, hold on, let me... university here in Ohio is 3 to 4% minority black. So you have to ask University of Cincinnati, Ohio State, or whatever university there is, why they want to increase the minority enrollment at their school. You have to ask them, okay? So 
Well, well hold on. We we do ask this. you. You got you got to have a conversation here. Okay, don't don't just keep monologuing because I want to have a conversation with you. Um, two things. Sure. Number one, my experience in combing through scholarship opportunities three and a half years ago for my daughter, who uh, was a straight-A student, National Honor Society, president of this, everything of that. I mean, her resume was almost unparalleled. Um, As I combed through scholarship opportunities for her, and I found some, uh, she's at Hillsdale now, uh, I can't tell you how many of them she was not allowed to apply for because it was very specifically only for BIPOC. Oh, specifically only for people of color. There are people who are going to be getting those scholarships who were less qualified, less achieved, less, uh, 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 lesser, lesser ability, who are going to get these scholarships to go to whatever college they wanted to, that she wasn't even allowed to apply for because they were for minority only. Do you think that's fair, and is that, um, is, is, or is that discriminatory? I think it's fair. You think and it's I'll fair for somebody to be banned from uh, applying for a scholarship because of their skin color? Let me tell you why. Ask the universities why they don't want to increase the money. No, 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 no. Don't play that game. It's not about why universities uh-huh. want to have uh, want to have a more diverse campus. I'm asking you about a simple matter of should an individual, an accomplished student, be denied an opportunity for a college scholarship because of their skin color? Because if you say yes, if you say Mike, if you say yes, if you say yes, then it should be okay to have white or Asian-only scholarship opportunities. Black, brown, others may not apply. Would you be okay with that? Because I wouldn't. Skin color is only one of the criteria. No, 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 sir, no, sir, no, sir, no, sir, no, sir, no, sir. Mike, 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 Mike. Mike, yes, no, no, there are some, you're right, some scholarships are need-based, absolutely, income matters. Some scholarships are merit-based, and, and that's all that matters. Some scholarships are a combination thereof, but if you're white, you cannot apply. This is a black or brown only, or a white or, or excuse me, uh, African-American or Hispanic, depending on whatever they, they're phrasing it, uh, uh, scholarship opportunities only. And there are countless numbers of them out there, because I'm telling you, I spent many nights like parents all over this state and all over this country trying to send their kids to college, many nights in front of the computer looking at all of the various scholarship opportunities that are available, and by the dozens, like, this one looks good. She meets that. She meets that. She meets that. She's got all of these things. Oh, must be minority, Mike. And when that qualifier is added, suddenly my daughter is disqualified solely because of her skin color. Now, I would never do that to your daughter or son. Why would you say it would be okay to do it to mine? So let me put it back to you. So if I apply to a Polish-American scholarship, can I? Well, I will tell you this. If, if there is a po- Well, no, I'm, I'm going to answer your question. If there is a Polish-American scholarship that is specifically saying must be Polish to, uh, to, uh, to accept this, I would call that discriminatory, and I would not be supportive okay, of that. We're on the same page. We're on the same page. So if well, no, we're not because no, we're not, Mike. Mike, we're totally not because so, you're okay or, with discrimination and I'm not. The difference between you and so me is you're okay with discriminating it, against people and I'm not based on their skin color. I you, absolutely want nothing to do with you that. You put those words in my mouth. I did not put those words in my oh, mouth. Oh yeah, you did. Oh yeah, you did. Oh yeah, you did. I asked you, you four to, yeah, times. Yeah. I asked you four times to 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 uh, decry to to 
to condemn, to convict, to, to say no. Children should not be denied scholarship opportunities based on their skin color. And you won't do it. So why you do won't they have say, names, I agree. So what? why do they have names on these scholarships? What do you mean, why do they have names on them? What does that mean? Hispanic scholarship, Asian scholarship, Polish-American scholarships. Why do they have names on it then? I, I don't know, but that's my point. They shouldn't. Okay, so okay, then we're on the same page. So they should just have it a black scholarship. No, Mike. No, no, Mike. We don't agree, and I don't know where you're where you're coming from on this. There should not be black only scholarships. There should not be white only well, scholarships. Well, scholarships they, should be open to everybody. That's what discrimin uh, non discrimination or, or discrimination means. Or the L scholarship. Why they gotta have an L scholarship? The what? Or or Kawana scholarship. Well, if there, are if, there, if there are clubs that award scholarships, I hope that those clubs, all of those clubs, will award those scholarships based on merit and not limited to skin color. That's not supposed okay, to so be a part of it. You look, look, Mike. Here's where we differ, and I got to go here because I'm up against it. Thank you for the discussion. You either believe in the Civil Rights Act or you do not, and apparently you do not. The Civil Rights Act says that. A person cannot be discriminated against in applications for employment or for housing or, in this case, for scholarships based on a number of characteristics, including their color of their skin, their race. I am opposed to discrimination based on race. You're arguing in favor of racial discrimination if it gets more black and brown kids onto college campuses. You're okay with denying qualified white kids from those opportunities, scholarships, admission, etc., if it means getting more black or brown people onto the campuses. And I'm telling you that is the very definition of discrimination. I'm glad to get the call, though, because we need to clarify these things. I'm glad to be able to do so. Right back after the news. Always right radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. 1039, Always Right Radio, online at alwaysright.us, alwaysright.us. If you missed the uh, the latest uh, musical gem parody from our uh, friend Dale Officer, our creative services director, with the vocal stylings and talent of Johnny Hiles, it's called Woke Busters. Check it out on my webpage, WHK Radio, or excuse me, uh, alwaysright.us, alwaysright.us for that. You'll find it right there along with the other lead stories of the day. Uh, I really wanted to dive into uh, the other half of the um, woke issues today in hour number two. I did uh, CRT and what what is being done to our children, what is being done to our military, and I was going to do the uh, boomer or excuse me groomer month, which is what Pride Month really is in hour number two, but we got so backed up with phone calls, I didn't have a chance to get into all of this. Now I can't do it in 20 minutes, because hour number three is going to be devoted to energy and to gasoline costs and to the real issues involved with those. So uh, I guess I'm just going to take more phone calls here since I can't do this, and I'll have to save this for tomorrow. But I've got arguments, or rather, I've got a ton of different articles and information 
um, about Pride Month, which is why it should absolutely not be recognized by the United States, not recognized as a celebration of being gay. First of all, in and of itself, nobody asked you who you like to have sex with. Nobody cares if you like to have sex with the same sex that you are. Nobody cares what your attraction is. That's number one. But if you are going to say, yeah, but, for a long time, it was considered to be so taboo being gay in this country that they had people were denying their own, uh, their own sexual proclivities and they were forced to be ashamed of themselves. Pride Month was created just to allow these people to be proud of who they are and not feel shame. If that's all it is, I would just be like, whatever. Just don't demand special treatment and don't demand uh, and call people bigots if they don't show up marching with rainbow flags. Do you and let everybody else do themselves and, and everything will be fine. I'll be me, you'll be you. But don't make me celebrate you. Just go ahead and be proud. I'm fine with that. But that isn't what Pride Day is. Or Pride Month is anymore. Pride Month is a celebration of perversion. Pride Month is a celebration of deviancy. Pride Month is now a celebration of psychological impairment. Because being proud of being gay is no longer what Pride Month is all about. It is all about recruitment of young people to draw them in and create more. It's trendy, it's popular, it's fun. You don't want to just be plain old boring cis, do you? You don't want to just be a plain old boring straight white male, do you? Don't you feel tendencies to be a girl sometimes? Don't you ever put on girls' underwear and see how nice that feels? Come on. And it's a push to recruit more members to this movement. And I want to spend at least a full hour on it tomorrow talking about it. What they're doing, by the way, and my lead story that I will now push back to tomorrow is the attempt by the LGBTQ alphabet mafia to play the same game they play with climate change, to play the same game they played with COVID-19 non-vaccine vaccinations. They're playing the, the science is settled card. That's what... The, the Assistant Secretary, Secretary for Health in the Biden administration is doing and saying, Richard Levine, a male, a biological male with male reproductive organs, male levels of testosterone, a biological male, Richard Levine, who likes to dress in girls' clothes and call himself Rachel, Rachel Levine, says there is no debate among healthcare providers about whether gender-confused children should be provided with so-called gender-affirming care, which is varying degrees of chemical or surgical changes to their bodies that are life-altering forever. The argument is there is no debate among, among healthcare providers that the science is settled. This is the way it should be done. That's flat-out False information, fake news, if you will. Those are lies. This is a very confused and demented man who literally is trying to surround himself with more confusion and more dementia. Not the kind that Joe Biden suffers from, by the way. But the reality of the situation is there is a huge spike in suicides among trans teens who transitioned or puberty blocked themselves because they felt like they knew what they wanted when they were nine 
The fact is that there are children who are suffering greatly from the pressures to become something they're not by their teachers, by their parents in many cases, by their aunts and uncles, all trying to push them to be something different than what God made them. In our military, they are spending inordinate amounts of time trying to teach our Navy sailors which pronouns to use on one another to create unit cohesion when all it does is create unit division. International bodies are starting to come around. FINA voted to ban uh, transgender women, meaning dudes, from swimming against uh, 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 girls if they didn't transition before age 12. And some people are celebrating that as a huge win. It's not a huge win. All that's going to do is encourage more parents to transition their kids before age 12 so that if they become athletes at 15, 16, 17, 18, 20, 22, they not, they're not banned from competing. It's going to push them into transitioning their kids earlier. It's disgusting. It's, 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 it's abusive. It's child abusive. I have so many stories that I'm going to share with you. Like I said, it would take a full hour, and I just don't have it. So as such, I will go to the phones. Uh, Westlake, Vince, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead, Vince. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm good, sir. What's on your mind? Well, just to follow up on the uh, phone call before the uh, break you had, uh, you talked about the scholarship situation. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. You know, people being denied on that. And you had a gentleman on there that talked about, you know, why there should be black and why there shouldn't be because there's Polish scholarships and everything else. There. What he's failing to miss is that those are not requirements by that certain club. The club is providing the scholarship or the association. It's not the school denying person because of that. That's number one. Number two... Uh, like your children, my son got several scholarships. Um, he got a scholarship to Hillsdale. He was at Hillsdale for a year. He got the uh, Eagle Scout scholarship. He got some other different association scholarships. And I specifically remember when we went to the ceremony for the Eagle Scouts in Northeast Ohio that year, there were a wide variety of young men there, and young men because the Boy Scouts still, um, Black kids, white kids, Asian, Hispanic. Nobody was denied that. Okay, The criteria was you needed to be an Eagle Scout. Simple as that. There was no denial because of skin color. And you also got it because of grades as well, too. Right. There were a lot of kids there that had great grades, no matter what the color were. Conversely, he was denied access, even though National Merit Scholar, St. Ignatius, straight A's, uh, like some of your children, I heard you mention their qualifications, all at the very top of that. But Harvard said no, okay, because <laughs> not the right color. So I kind of don't want to hear Mike talk about, you know, that there's these things that, you know, it's a Polish only or this only or that only. Those are club scholarships, and those are scholarships that are given because of a certain club or that. It's not the school denying you because you're not a certain race. Well, you know, uh, I'm so I'm so glad to hear you say that. And and obviously what you're talking about with Eagle Scouts and so many other things is just pure merit. And this is what, as you know, uh, is a part of of the ongoing um, DEI movement or D.I.E. as I call it movement. The the belief that meritocracies are a myth, that merit in itself is a myth that, um, uh, you know, that you cannot 
you cannot simply judge people based on how well they do or how high they perform on tests or what their grades are like or what work ethic they have is proven by accomplishments like an Eagle Scout. Um, you cannot you cannot judge that because not everybody has the opportunities to achieve at a higher level and and thus earn this merit. This is their argument, um, but that is what is garbage. When at the end of the day, what I'm talking about is looking up private scholarships, not just school sponsored scholarships, Vince. And this is where I, you know because you're talking about what Harvard said and so forth. Um, pro- there are private scholarships that specifically say um, you must be a person of color. Um, there are no scholarships, and I know because I found dozens of them that my daughter would have qualified for otherwise had she played the Liz Warren card, by the way, because my daughter is 116th Cherokee, just so you know. Um, I didn't play the Liz Warren card, who was 1-1024th Cherokee, by the way, but my daughter actually is because my wife is 1-8th. But I didn't play that card. It was just, nope, she doesn't qualify. It's unfair, but from a race or skin or a skin color perspective that they had listed as requirements on these scholarships, she didn't qualify. But there were none, Vince, and I'm sure you probably, in, in all of the time searching for scholarship opportunities for your son, uh, you probably never came across one that said, must be white. Must be Absolutely white. Absolutely not. Black need not apply. Absolutely. Hispanic need not apply. Now, can the Polish club give one to only club members? Okay, that's understandable. It's a Polish club. It literally is a celebration of heritage. And if they offer scholarship opportunities uh, to to members only, then you've got to be Polish to be a part of that. That's a little bit different than saying we are an organization that is not ethnic in terms of its requirement, but we are limiting the, the money that we are giving to people of certain ethnicities. That is blatant civil rights violation, discrimination. I don't care what, 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 what direction it comes Correct. from. There's no way to describe Agreed. it otherwise. All right. Hey, Vince, thank you for sharing, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, God bless. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you. All right. Uh, that's a good phone call because he made some very good points about meritocracy. And the meritocracy, of course, is, is a myth, according to the American left. You cannot measure people against one another if everybody didn't have the same exact thing growing up. But by the way, <laughs> I'm white. Uh, you tell me I grew up in privilege. Uh, we're going to have a, we're going to have a conversation, maybe a long one. All right. I grew up in a lower middle class household in a very, very small house with a room that you could probably describe better as a large closet. Uh, I didn't have things other people had. Um, I was wearing canvas tennis shoes on my high school basketball team when everybody else had leather, I don't think Nike as much, but ponies and Converse's and other things then. Uh, Don't tell me about privilege. Don't tell me that my skin color. Don't tell me that J.D. Vance had skin color privilege if you ever saw or read Hillbilly Elegy. Don't tell me that he had privilege just because he was white. He grew up poor, rural, very limited opportunities. Don't tell me that skin color defines a person's privilege. It's garbage. It's propaganda. It's hogwash. It's CRT nonsense. That's what it is. Uh, Navy man Norm is in Strongsville. Hey, Norm, go ahead. Bob. Yes, Norm. We need an old-fashioned Bob shout-out to Bishop McManus of the Worcester, Massachusetts Diocese, who excommunicated a Catholic school, the School of the Nativity, because they refused to stop flying a gay pride flag and a black matter lives flag. The good bishop... Bishop McManus warned them about three months ago, 
take the flags down. They do not belong or reflect Catholicism. They refuse. So the bishop excommunicated the school. They are no longer allowed to call themselves a Catholic school. They are no longer allowed to hold mass on their campus. They are no longer allowed to distribute or receive Holy Communion on their campus. So I think Bishop McManus of the Worcester, Massachusetts, deserves an old-fashioned Bob France shout-out. Before I give it, do you know what the um, uh, follow-up to this is going to be? And what I mean by that is in this Catholic Church, under this papal leadership, um, and it's wokeism, um, I'm wondering, is he going to be the one who ends up not necessarily excommunicated, but uh, somebody's going to be disciplined, somebody's going to be reprimanded, somebody's going to be forced to reverse that? Because in this, in this, in this church, this modern day church, the, the the pride flag probably you know is as important to many at the higher levels of leadership as the American flag or as any world flag. So I'm just kind of curious: is this going to stand, or is, is his word final, think, or is he I, subject to some other you know some other body ahead of uh, uh, you know above him, whether it be cardinal or otherwise? Well, I think it will stand because, as you know, the bishop of the San Francisco Archdiocese refused to give communion to. Uh, the drag queen's uh, favorite person, Nancy Pelosi, and that has been allowed to stand. And this bishop basically said, the school said, of course, we're going to appeal to a higher authority. Mm-hmm. And the good bishop came back and said, I work for higher authority, God. I love that so answer. I have, for that answer I, alone, I will give the... the can uh, you <laughs> dig it? That's my highest form of praise, is a can you dig it? Thank you, Navy man Norm. It's 10.54. Got to get out right back after this. AM 1420, The Answer. WHK. Can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can't. You can't? Mm, not in okay. this context. So I'm not a biologist. The meaning of the word woman is so unclear and controversial that you can't give me a definition. My gender changes depending on the day or week or even depending on the hour. If you got three months in Facebook jail, who you gonna call? If your five-year-old girl identifies as male, who you going to call? Whoa, when you post pictures of your beautiful vacation or your healthy children or your lovely home and you write hashtag bless, I ain't trying to be woke. You are offensive because you were not chosen as one of God's favorites. You were given opportunities that other people were not. I ain't trying to be woke. If the liberal mob tries to shut you down, who can you call? Because you forgot to use their preferred pronouns. Oh, who you gonna call? What are your preferred pronouns? Uh, Zazem. These are my pronouns. Mappa, Nini, Nopa, Nori. I ain't trying to be woke. Opa, Pere, Pong Pong, Zaza, Zizi, Trixic, Twerk, Feminamork, Viramork, Allosexual. I ain't trying to be woke. If you've had enough of this freaky stuff, baby, you better call. Whoa, Busters! If your American dream 
is too extreme, then call Wokebusters! Our genitals actually don't determine our gender. I ain't trying to be woke. Do you believe then that men can become pregnant? Yes. I ain't trying to be woke. Trans women are not a threat to women's sports. I ain't trying to be woke. Any male who claims not to be a misogynist racist and a is a misogynist. Wokebusters! When a traffic statue replaces Chief Wahoo, you really need to call Wokebusters! When NBC sounds like the KGB, baby, think you better call. Wolfbusters! Ow, who you gonna call? Wolfbusters! Who you gonna call? Wolfbusters! I can't hear you. Who you gonna call? Wolfbusters! I think you better call. Wolfbusters! Who can you call? You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 14. Hour number three underway now at AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Thank you so very much for staying with us on this Tuesday. And uh, it is, of course, the twenty-first morning, the sixth month of the year of our Lord twenty twenty-two. And I want to spend some time talking about well, well, that which we are all dealing with. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about gas prices today, energy prices, what it's doing to your budget, what it's doing to your uh, family, uh, the decisions it's forcing you to make, and. You know, we have listened time and time again, and for the better part of, you know, the last uh, year, year, well, certainly since the invasion of Ukraine, but, but passing on the blame for the extraordinary high gas prices is going all the way back pro- to the, the period of time prior to the invasion of Ukraine. That allowed um, Joe Biden to coin the hashtag and to establish his, um, uh, his, uh, uh, administration's talking point, calling it the Putin price hike. Putin price hike in the gas prices, in the oil prices, leading to the price hike and everything else, and so on and so forth. And it's just so disgusting and so disingenuous. But it it what that wasn't his only, and has not uh, been his only target when it comes to passing the blame. There used to be, you know, there used to be a belief that in the White House, you know, the buck stops here. It stops in the Oval Office at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. But he has passed it on to the Kremlin and and not the, not only the Kremlin, but also to Texas, more specifically to the vast majority, overwhelming majority of oil companies based in Texas. And of course, in Louisiana and down along the Gulf Coast. But essentially, oil companies have been his target as well. 
And there's a piece I didn't get a chance to talk about on Monday's show uh, from Monday in the Washington Examiner by the editorial editorial board there that I think is worth a little bit of our time. And I want to spend that time so that we can really get a grip on what Joe Brandon, don't call me Brandon and don't call me Lance Armstrong, the way he rides bikes, uh, uh, the way he has, has handled this. Because, again, quite frankly, it is, um, it, is, it is disingenuous, it is disgusting, it's despicable, and it's outright dishonest when he blames everybody except himself and his policies. As far as cutting down uh, on the number of oil and gas uh, leases that would be allowed, uh, banning fracking, banning uh, drilling in federal lands and all the rest. But this piece in the Washington Examiner, I think, does a very good job of it because it allows the oil companies to fight back, quoting them. And let me just share a bit of this with you from the Examiner from June, uh, from, uh, June 20th, which was yesterday. I want to emphasize demand destruction or demand slowdowns is not a fix to this problem. That, according to Jeff Curry, global head of commodities at Goldman Sachs, last Thursday. There's only one long-term fix to this, to this problem, and that is investment. Harnessing large amounts of capital into this space to de-bottleneck it. And at this point in the game, we still don't see large-scale investment. The problem to which Curry was referring is the price of gasoline, which ranges from $6 to $8 in the United States. Now, here in Ohio, I'm going to interject here parenthetically and say right now the average seems to be around the state of Ohio right around $5 and a dime, around five ten. That's what I'm seeing everywhere. That's what I think a lot of other people are. There may be higher, maybe a few cents lower in certain places, but around five ten. But for the purpose of the article, they say 6 to 8 Okay. It is a problem that portends massive Democratic losses this November, and for which President Joe Biden is doing everything he can to evade responsibility. Curry's point was that the old economy, as he called it, requires sustained capital investment, oil exploration, refineries, pipelines, etc. Curry's words, in fact, echo those of ExxonMobil's recent scathing statement issued after the company grew tired of being scapegoated by Biden and the Democrats for the high gasoline prices that their party platform explicitly supports. Quote, in the short term, the U.S. government could enact measures often used in emergencies following hurricanes or other supply disruptions, such as waivers of Jones Act provisions and some fuel specifications to increase supplies, the statement reads. Longer term, government can promote investment through clear and consistent policy that supports U.S. resource development, such as regular and predictable lease sales, as well as streamline regulatory approval and support for infrastructure, such as pipelines. This is yet another national problem Biden has made appreciably worse. His administration's failure to give either streamlined regulatory approval for oil exploration, or to hold regular and predictable lease sales has been a calculated effort to hobble an industry liberals hate and want to see disappear. But of course, it isn't the extent of the damage that he has done on the supply side of the energy industry. Oil production, for example, could be much higher now if not for Biden's initial attacks on the energy industry, beginning literally the moment he took office. If not for his and Barack Obama's malign interference, pure pandering to a crowd of ignorant environmentalists, the Keystone Pipeline would have been fully functional for two years by now. I want to pause there and underscore that and make sure everybody knows that. 
if you are arguing with the left, with liberal family members, coworkers, you know, acquaintances or whatever, and you say he took the Keystone Pipeline offline and, and that cost you know, a million barrels of oil a day that could have been moved through the country. Well, don't say those things because you're hurting the problem, not helping solve it, because the pipeline was never online. But the reason why it was never constructed or the finishing of it was never, was never constructed, because, it was because of the, um, the uh, obstruction of the, the Obama administration. Then it started to be built under the Trump administration, and then as soon, literally, as Biden took office on January 20th of uh, 2021, he immediately signed that order to halt the construction of it. So when we say that Biden stopped the Keystone Pipeline, don't say that he stopped you know the flowing of a, a million oil uh, barrels of oil a day through that pipeline which it could be by now but it wasn't it just hadn't been built yet but here's the key before i go back to the examiner article to make this point very very clear the price of oil and other petroleum products is reflected specifically in the futures market meaning that it's not what the cost of a barrel of oil is today that determines the cost of, of gasoline. It's what does the future hold? What is in on the horizon? What is in plain sight? How far away? Those things will determine the overall international market for commodities like oil and also natural gas. So, when we talk about the Keystone Pipeline, which the Examiner article just did, make sure that you explain to people who don't understand it that if that pipeline that Trump started was allowed to have been completed, it could have been completed by now. And it could have been pumping and been responsible for moving a million barrels of, barrels of oil a day. And it would have made us, or at least gotten us back on the track toward the same energy independence being net exporters of energy that we were under the Trump administration. But Biden, of course, killed the construction of the pipeline. All he has to do now is say, we're reversing course. We're going to restart construction of Keystone. First of all, it's going to put a ton of workers back to work, number one. But more importantly, the rest of the world is going to take notice. They're going to say, uh-oh. The Americans are acting again. again. They're building a pipeline. And this pipeline is going to change the flow, not of the oil, although that will, of course, be a part of it, but of supply and demand. It's going to change everything. A new supply and the very quick movement of oil to refineries to be produced and to be shipped, and to be converted into gasoline, all everything will change if they just think that. And in fact, it's not just the Keystone Pipeline. And we talked about this somewhat, and I apologize for the redundancy. But in addition to the pipeline, if he just says we are opening up more federal lands for drilling and exploration, if we're opening up Anwar, if we're opening up uh, uh, leases in the Gulf, again, the futures market is going to react to that. And they're going to say, wow, the Americans are now drilling more. They're fracking. They're exploring. These oil companies are, are, are using their leases. They're deregulating. And they're allowing the companies to start mass producing their energy again. That will automatically drop the price of oil on the international market. Because it's all about supply and demand, right? 
If they believe around the globe that the Americans are about to increase their supply, well, the demand for the existing energy will start to shrivel. And the prices will go down as a result. And that's exactly what Biden refuses to do, to allow that to happen. All he has to do is say, we're going to restart the pipeline and we are going to reopen uh, certain federal areas for exploration. Now, back to the Examiner article. And I, and I bring this stuff to you. You know what I, I really want to make sure I'm not doing here? I want to make sure I'm not condescending to anybody. You probably know 99% of what I'm talking about right now, what the uh, editors at the uh, Washington Examiner are talking about right now. You probably know most of this. But sometimes we need to hear it and we need to say it together. We need to explain it in the right way to people who uh, may not quite understand this, particularly if they're Democrats. But we have to explain. So back to the article from the Examiner. Oil production could be much higher now if not for Biden's initial attacks on the energy industry beginning the moment he took us. Oh, I read that part. My apologies. His Environmental Protection Agency. Actually, I've got to make sure I didn't lose my place here. And I kind of did lose my place here. So let me go back. Obama's malign interference, pure pandering to a crowd of ignorant environmentalists. The Keystone Pipeline would have been fully functional for years by now. That's where I left off. Okay, sorry about that. Biden is additionally exacerbating the supply side of the problem and creating another needless bottleneck by tightening the screws on refiners. His Environmental Protection Agency is imposing a new and totally unrealistic biofuel mandate rule. What does that mean? This will compound several problems by forcing the use of scarce cereal crops, remember the Ukraine war, as an expensive fuel, forcing food prices even higher as well. Meanwhile, the administration is forcing refiners to purchase credits that were already exceedingly expensive. They could try to get a waiver, but Biden's EPA has just denied 69 refineries' applications for waivers. Now I'll stop there to once again opine and state the obvious. The Biden administration, as evidenced in this case by the Biden EPA, is intentionally making it more difficult for oil companies and refiners to put their pro- get their products uh, drilled, transported, and put to market. Why? Because of what we said in the first paragraph. Because of bowing and 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 essentially begging for the approval of the environmental uh, nut jobs, the climate alarmists, the chicken littles who tell you that if we continue to use oil and natural gas, the the sky is going to fall. This is all they care about is gangrene. They care more about what Bernie Sanders and ADC Alexandria Damasio Cortez uh, and the other green lobbyists. What they ha- what what they think about all of this, then they do about Americans' bottom lines, about Americans' checkbooks, Americans' bank accounts, Americans' purses, Americans' wallets. They don't care. So the examiner uh, concludes: If you don't like paying six dollars a gallon for gasoline, Biden's answer is to warehouse your car. Never mind those monthly payments you'll still have to make, but warehouse your car and pay thirty to fifty thousand dollars for an electric vehicle. He'll say anything to avoid responsibility for that which he is solely and singularly responsible. How do we know? Because all of the conditions around the world are the same today as they were when Donald Trump was in office, yet Donald Trump had us to two bucks a gallon. Why? Because we were drilling. We're exploring. We're using the leases. We're, we're moving product. We're building pipelines. That's how we know. 
He will say anything to avoid responsibility. He will do anything except what will work in order to increase domestic fossil fuel production. This issue, as as much as any other, shows that Biden lacks self-awareness and empathy for others. He's the perfect leader for a party that is out of touch with voters as today's Democrats. Now, that's, you know, simply what, what the Washington Examiner had to say. And I just, it's very hard to dispute any of that. Where's the lie in anything that you just heard? Where's the lie? Lack of self-awareness and empathy, and the only thing that makes that lack of self-awareness and empathy worse is sending Corrine Jean-Pierre up to the podium every day to answer questions about energy costs, to answer questions about gas costs, to answer questions about Americans uh, dealing with inflation, and having her tell us that he cares, that Biden cares so much. Oh my gosh, it's what he thinks about when he wakes up, it's what he thinks about when he goes to sleep, he spends all day trying to figure out how to tackle it, how to deal with inflation, we will tackle it, and by the way, did you know that we're creating more jobs than any other president in history for the first few years, and blah, 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 blah. He cares so much, he doesn't care because he is not trying to solve this. He was never trying to solve this. And it's that that is as galling and as frustrating and frustrating and as aggravating and rage inducing as much as anything else. Quit telling us you care and you know how it feels when you absolutely do not care and you have no idea how it feels. You're doing this because you're trying to satisfy your green energy lobby. All right, uh, let's take a quick time out here. Uh, I want to come back. We've got a lot more to talk about, a lot more information to share with you. Hour number three continues on this Tuesday edition of Always Right Radio online uh, at alwaysright.us and right here on air at AM 1420 The Answer. All right, onward we roll in the third hour on this Tuesday edition of Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Don't forget, having a great party tonight. I hope you got your tickets uh, for uh, tonight's event. It's going to start about 4.30 for the um, uh, VIP ticket holders. It's going to start about 6 o'clock. Uh, I think the doors will open for general admission ticket holders. The music that's going to start is going to be phenomenal. Uh, Johnny Hiles and his band are going to play. It's going to be a great time. And then you're going to have uh, Top Dog doing their Beatles cover music as we celebrate 100 years. 100 years of WHK Radio, the oldest radio station in the state of Ohio. We're so extremely proud of it. And we're so looking forward to meeting so many people tonight. And I really hope you have uh, got your tickets and you can, can uh, come out to join us. Don't forget, if you didn't get them yet, uh, you got to do it at whkradio.com, whkradio.com. Um, I, I want to go back because I was just talking, obviously, about uh, the Examiner article about the gas prices. Before we get to the bottom of the hour news here, uh, there's another piece that I wanted to share. It was actually from Sunday. And this is three things specifically that Biden has done. The, the last one just kind of talked about what can be done and they're not doing. This is three intentional decisions that were made by the Biden administration, or let's go Brandon himself, that increased gas prices that you're dealing with right now. And they like to continue to say, well, gas prices have risen one hundred. I mean, a uh, dollar seventy four since Putin invaded Ukraine. And indeed they had. And I've said it before, and I'll continue to say it until everybody hears it and everybody understands it and everybody is realistic about it. If that was the only reason for the gas hikes, then our gas prices right now would be three seventy four because they were about two bucks when Trump left office. Two bucks. And if Putin's price hike is one seventy four, then it should be three seventy four. But it's not. It's five oh nine. It's five ten. Why? It's five ten because Joe Brandon decided on January twentieth, twenty twenty one. 
to attack. And and I've played the clip. I'm not going to play it for you again right now. I've played it for you ad nauseum of Joe Biden announcing his attack on fossil fuels. On the oil industry, no more drilling anywhere. On the uh, uh, on the um, natural gas industry, no more fracking. On the coal industry, we're gonna we're gonna uh, not build any more coal fired plants, and we're not, and we're gonna kill the ones that we have now. All of those things have been said ad nauseum. But here are three specific things that he did do uh, to raise the price of gas. Whether he will you will ever understand that or not, or whether whether or not he'll acknowledge as much, but this was the practical uh, application of his policies. This is what it was going to lead to. Number one, three specific things he has done that have led to increased gas prices intentionally, or if you think otherwise. One, canceling the drilling leases and limiting the domestic production. Since taking office, Biden has taken too many steps to count to limit domestic production, including halting federal permits for the oil and gas drilling and leasing shortly after taking office and blocking drilling in major oil-rich Alaskan regions. To be clear, these decisions will mostly affect future production, which I've talked about. That's how prices are decided. But that does still significantly affect gas prices because companies factor in their expectations about the future into the decisions that they make today. And again, apologies, I kind of covered that a little bit last time. Some say that new leases would have, t- would have taken time and would not yet be online. But even so, there is evidence that expectations of increased future supply has a beneficial impact on current prices. And expectations of future su- supply drying up has a negative impact on current prices. This is not news. I've told you this before, but it's rather than hear it from, you know, non-oil expert talk show hosts like me. Get it from Competitive Enterprise Institute's Ben Lieberman, who gave us that. He also said, at a day-to-day level, I'm hearing from drillers that they are having a very hard time getting all the approvals that they need from the EPA and other agencies in order to produce in existing wells. And, of course, new federal leasing has come to a halt. It's just basic economics. When the government throttles future supply in an industry, that will lead to higher prices both now and in the future. He was warned, Brandon was. By many critics at the time, this would happen, but proceeded anyway. That's one. Number two, choking regulations that impose big costs and lead to higher prices. Speaking of basic economics, it's well established that when businesses' costs rise, that puts upward pressure on the prices they charge consumers. Duh. The oil and gas industry is no exception. Unfortunately, the Biden administration has both proposed and implemented a wide array of regulations to the energy sector, inflicting billions in federal uh, direct financial costs and incalculable indirect compliance costs, plus further harming expectations for the future. The regulatory chokehold, this is Vance Ginn, conservative economist who served in the Trump administration. The regulatory chokehold imposed by the Biden administration on oil production in place of a Green New Deal has drastically raised gasoline prices, thereby hurting lower-income people the most. This is yet another example of the high cost of big government environmentalism when the better approach, approach is to remove government barriers so that free markets can better let people adapt to changes in the environment at a much lower cost. All right, I got to two out of the three before the news here. Let's take our news break here. On the flip side, I'll finish the thought here and then have a few more for you as we continue to fight our way through this extraordinary, intentional attack on our budgets, attack on the middle class, attack on the impoverished, the attack on American energy. Right back. Delivering you from the depravity of the radical left. Always right radio with Bob France on the answer. 
Final segment of this Tuesday edition of Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer, and online at alwaysright.us. However, it will not be the last time you hear my voice today. If you have a ticket to the WHK 100th anniversary slash birthday celebration we're having uh, starting about 4.30 today for VIP members, 6 o'clock for general admission ticket holders out at Harry Buffalo in North Olmstead on Great Northern Boulevard. We are so uh, thankful, by the way, to Tony George, once again, the owner of Harry Buffalo, the entire uh, chain of Harry Buffalo restaurants for the hospitality and having us out uh, at the flagship location, which is the one in North Olmstead for this great party today. It's going to be great music. We're going to have great uh, food, buffet food, all kinds of great drink specials. There's going to be a, 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 I mean, a, a whiskey tasting flight and uh, and cigars for VIP ticket holders, buffet buffet a meal. It's going to be a phenomenal thing. So hopefully you'll be out there and see us uh, this afternoon. I want to finish, though, and I'm going to say, look, sorry, I'm making you drive if you've got to come out and see us. <laughs> uh, because at 5, 10 a gallon, it's a pretty big investment to take your car anywhere now. But this is the point we're making. I want everybody to understand This is not accidental, and this is not a product of the global economy just grinding to a halt and causing all of these problems for American drivers. This is very, not that there aren't global issues, but this is very specifically what we are dealing with right now with our energy, and it's costing you money, and it's making you make choices between the gas tank or the insurance uh, payments. The gas tank or the rent the gas tank or the doctor's bills, the gas tank or the tuition. The gas. I mean, the bottom line is when you are putting hundreds of dollars a month into your vehicle that you didn't have to put in before, it's costing you in other places, and it's all intentional. Number one in the list of the three specific things Biden has done to raise gas prices, specifically on his own, having nothing to do with Vladimir Putin, it was canceling drilling leases and limiting domestic production. Number two was choking regulations that impose big costs and lead to higher prices. And now number three, I want to wrap you with this. Anti-energy rhetoric that discourages investment. That's right. Rhetoric matters. While words don't literally do anything to change gas prices, the signals coming from policymakers absolutely do affect the long-term investment decisions that businesses make. And even as a presidential candidate, Biden sent very negative messages about what his leadership would mean for the gas industry. In just one example, as Americans for Tax Reform pointed out, and quite frankly, as Bob Francis pointed out and played for you many, many times, Biden said during a campaign stop, we are going to get rid of fossil fuels. We're going to phase out fossil fuels. Then when he took office, the president followed these words with actions, such as canceling Keystone XL, blocking leases, restricting imports, and pursuing regulations. Are you following this? I I feel like I said, I'm kind of torn between... You know, not wanting to sound condescending by saying things that are so obvious to even the most casual casual of observers. But in case it isn't obvious, I want to say it. So you'll bear with me, I hope, if I'm saying things you already know. I'm not trying to beat this dead horse to make it deader. I swear I'm not. But I want everybody to understand this is not an accident. And every time Corrine Jean-Pierre, did I mention that she's gay and black? Yeah, she's the first gay black press secretary. That's that's all that matters. Those were her job qualifications. She's gay and she's black. She checked the boxes. So she tells us every day, oh, he cares. He cares so much. Uh, you know, President Biden really understands. Boy, he knows what it's like to be in, uh, you know, the, the lower middle class. Uh, how he grow. Garbage. 
Don't think for a second that he's waking up in the middle of the night trying to think how he can stop high gas prices. This was the plan from the start. In general, Biden's open hostility, writes the Washington Examiner, toward the oil and gas industry has almost certainly curbed investment into production that otherwise would have occurred. Such extinction rhetoric coming from the president has an unprecedented chilling effect on investment, according to um, uh, Lieberman. He says, uh, to put it simply, less investment means less supply, which means higher prices. It's absolutely true that our high gas prices aren't entirely Biden's fault, but the president is not the helpless bystander his defenders would have you believe. I would make that last statement a little stronger than the Washington Examiner did. I would say the vast majority of the high gas prices and thus high uh, product prices and service prices that we are all paying now as inflation is at a 40-plus year high. I would say the vast majority of the problems are Biden's fault because he made these decisions intentionally, knowing what they would cause on day one when he signed a bunch of executive orders. Now for him to blame Putin for the majority, no. Putin gets a blame. There's a segment of the international unrest and the international disruption of energy pipelines and the uh, and the uh, the market. I'll give Putin some of that, but the vast majority of what we're dealing right now, dealing with right now, is Biden's responsibility and no one else's. All right, you hear the music playing. You know what that means. Thanks so much for being with us today on AM 1420, The Answer. I appreciate it. Hopefully we've made a little bit of sense in this last uh, uh, hour or so for you so that you can have intelligent conversations with those who would still defend uh, Joe Biden and his energy policies. Have yourself a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Let's go, Brandon.